am your host, Eli. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Groundbreaking Podcast. Be sure to share this podcast with your network and smash that subscribe button and leave an awesome comment down below. This week, I am talking to the Auckland-based entrepreneur and CEO, Tony Falkenstein. Tony's story is filled with wins and losses and an array of business ventures, from fax machines to watches to sunglasses and water coolers. This episode will challenge your mindset around failure and help you consider what you are prepared to lose when everything goes wrong. In 2010, Tony was appointed as an officer of the New Zealand Order of Merit for his service to business. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Hi, Tony. Thank you so much for joining us this week. It's a pleasure, Eli. Where did you grow up and what was your favourite memory growing up? I grew up in Auckland, uh, in Onehunga, and I went to Onehunga High School. But uh, I had a lot of favourite favorite memories. You know, one of the things I, I never realised was that my parents were very poor. And I never knew that. I had a lot of fun as a kid. And, uh, and I always worked in my school holidays um, delivering heralds. And in those days, I delivered for the local pharmacy and delivered telegrams and various things. So, um, but the memories I had were always, were always good ones. So when you were younger, did you like, like making tree houses and just venturing? Yeah, I loved, I loved making, we used to make trolleys. And in fact, a friend of mine, Keith and I, we used to make, uh, we used to go to the rubbish dump and get bikes, bike parts and things that people had thrown away. We used to concentrate on bikes. We used to make bikes and we'd sell them. Cool. Growing up, did you have an interest in business? I can't say I did. I mean, I was, I drifted through, uh, right through school and right through my life. I drifted, didn't really, uh, didn't really think about business at all. You started working at 24 and and by 29 you were the CEO. T- can you tell me more about that journey? Okay, probably it's uh, probably it goes a bit earlier than that. I started uh, when I was still at school, I started an apprenticeship as a baker pastry cook. That's what I am, a baker pastry cook. And it was only when a friend of mine said to me, you know, because I was working long hours, started at two o'clock in the morning, and used to finish at six o'clock at night. Wow. So I didn't have too much spare time because I slept the rest of the time. <laughs> and so uh, this friend of mine said, hey, listen, uh, you should come to universities. There are all these girls you could meet. <laughs> and so I finished off my apprenticeship part-time and started going part-time to university. What made you decide to leave corporate life and start your own business, Red Eagle? So what happened, and I just go back to this age of 24, is when I was 24, I joined a company called Polaroid, which was a multi, US multinational. And uh, I kept on saying to, saying, hey, why don't we do this or why don't we do that? And people would say, gee, why didn't we think of that? And so suddenly I realized I had a, a talent, and that was that I could see outside the square. So things that other people couldn't see, I could see them. And so that's why at 29, by the time I was... 29, and they actually appointed a different guy to be general manager. And I said, well, listen, I'm getting out of here because I want to, I want to get out of here. And, uh, and they said, would you stay if you've got the position of general manager? And I said, yeah. 
And so they said, okay, because they, they wanted that creative creativity, you know, in a, in a manager. Did you do any market research? How did you know where to start and what to sell? Well, it's very interesting because um, there, are, there are two types of marketing. So there's traditional marketing and entrepreneurial marketing. So I'm an entrepreneurial marketer. Um, so what they teach you at university is traditional marketing. So, so from my point of view, when you're trying to do, if you do research on a product that's not there, people don't know what, people don't know what they don't know. And so if I say, hey, I'm going to produce this, uh, this new product, uh, people just, you cannot, set up a, you cannot set up a false situation and do market research on it uh, to get the answer. So, uh, so no, I don't do any market research. We launched uh, this company. We launched it first of all selling facsimile machines. And I said, hey, I'm prepared to lose $20,000. Um, in the case of Just Water, we bought six water coolers. And so we give it a go out in the marketplace. My research is in the marketplace, not doing it uh, in a false environment. You started your business just when the, the share market crashed. What was that like and what did you learn? I did start it a week after the share market crash. Um, we were, I saw an opportunity in renting fax machines and uh, and fax machines were the state of the art then. Now all other fax companies were um, were actually selling their machines. They wouldn't rent, and so I said, "Hey, let's let's rent the machines." So when the share market crash happened, um, as it happened, it was good timing because any person who wanted to get a fax machine in an office, they would have had to go much higher level to get us to to purchase one. While to get a rental, anybody could make that decision. So it was, a, it was actually a good time after the share market crash. What led you to start Just Water? We'd started off selling these fax machines as office products and, or renting them, and we were always into rentals. And I was looking for another type of product I could rent. And at the time, so this goes back almost 30 years ago, and people were getting a lot more conscious of their health, were jogging and, and et cetera. And in most offices, there were, they only had what they call lolly waters, just, you know, soft drinks um, in offices. And so I thought, gee, hey, people, are, uh, they're more healthy in terms of sport and things, in terms of eating, they're starting to get more healthy. Why don't I try water coolers? And that's what I did. Were you still selling flat fax machines or did you focus only on water coolers? We still sold fax machines. Um, and in fact, because of the rental flow, once you put one out on rental, you got rent coming in over 36 months. We continued it right up until 2004 um, without having any salespeople. We just took our current customers and kept on upgrading them. So, uh, so we allowed that rental flow and it was only in 2004 when we went to do an IPO um, that we decided to, uh, um, to, to stop that business. Can you explain to me what an IPO is? An IPO is an international public offering. And so it's when a company goes out to the share market and says, hey, listen, we want to uh, raise funds from, from the public. So what was it like when you started Just Water? Did everything go to plan? Uh, in every business I've been in, nothing goes to plan. So you start, uh, you start off with these big ideas on what you think will happen. 
and nothing goes to plan. Sometimes there are some good things, sometimes there are some bad things. So in the case of uh, Just Water, the good, things, the good thing was that uh, we bought six water coolers, they sold the first day, so we bought a whole lot more. That was good. And then some bad things, um, because we were renting water coolers, uh, we, it, cost, it cost a lot of money. We had to buy the coolers up front. We only got the money over 36 months. So we got into a lot of debt. Mm. And the bad thing was our banker, which wasn't the ASB, <laughs> they uh, decided they wanted their money back. And uh, we couldn't pay it, but uh, fortunately another bank took it, took it over. How long did it take to grow the business from there? What did you learn during that time? Uh, well, some of the things I learned were um, some of the people at the beginning, they were very, very good employees, but they couldn't handle the growth. And so we need a different type of person. So as you grow, each time you need a, a more experienced person. And you have to bring in new systems. And like I remember one time going down to the warehouse and... Uh, in this case, it was very early days. I said, hey, listen, I want to grab a fax machine. And the guy said, no, you can't, can't take one. You have to, where's your paperwork? Hmm? And I said, what paperwork? I'm, and he says, well, you need paperwork and, to take out a fax machine. And he says, who are you anyway? And I said, well, I own the company. And he said, well, I don't really, he said, that might be right, but I need the paperwork. And it was a good learning point for me, and I was pleased he did that because you have to start having some systems. When we were first operating, we would take things off shelves and oh, I'll do that later, put in notes of paper. And as you get bigger, you just need systems to operate it. Was it hard? It was always challenging. I mean, it's always businesses. Business is like, is, to me, is a big game. It's like a game of Monopoly. You just have to keep on. There are pieces moving all the time and you just have to keep ahead of the game. How do you go about marketing your business and what has, it, what has been the most successful form of marketing for you? Okay, so it really depends where you are, what, uh, what stage. So in terms of Just Water, we started, nobody knew what a water cooler was. And we had to get that information, education out. So we did newspaper advertising, we went to TV advertising, we did, uh, we did mailings out to people, we did everything. As we, as we got... Uh, bigger and more well-known, um, probably our main promotion were, were salespeople out there in the marketplace going in, knocking on doors and leaving free callers, um, all sorts. So really, we've used everything from knocking on a door to TV advertising. What has been your expansion journey like? We were in Australia, but uh, about four years ago, a, a big German company said, hey, we want to buy you and we decided to sell our Australian company. So at the moment, we're only in New Zealand. It's probably likely we will go overseas in the next year or so in some product. What advice would, would you give to people expanding their business overseas? Uh, stick to one market. And even, even one market is, we looked at had a product we took to China. China is like, is like 50 markets. You can only go really to one province in China. Is big enough, you know. One one city is a small city is ten million people. Normally, you know, most of them are fifty million. So, uh, so to me, it's focus. Some people go out and say, "Oh, we'll sell it all over the world," but you need to get your local market right. That you're absolutely got a nice base of business in your local market, and then go out to overseas market. 
How has your business changed over over the years? Uh, the business has changed in that uh, in that as you grow, it's uh, more people. You're able to do different things, and um, and so it's a uh, it's just an ever changing ever changing environment. How do you spot new opportunities and know when you are onto a good idea? I mean, opportunities come by every day, and the 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 skill of an entrepreneur is to pick the right opportunities to take, right opportunities and the right timing. Now, the um, probably the big lesson will come down later, and, and probably not in textbooks, but there you'll in textbooks you'll hear about the four P's, which is product, price, promotion, and place or distribution. And I added another one, which would be uh, people. So if I can take a, if I can take a product. Like um, if I take one product I, we marketed very well, which was a, was a sunglass, right? So the product we had was a product called Le Specs Sunglasses. So one, if you look at the product, we said the name, Le Specs, at French. We put uh, the colors, the tricolor, the red, white, and blue on the arm of it. We made the product out, made out of one material, which is stuff called Krylon, which was very uh, flexible. You could sit on them and they wouldn't break. And uh, so that was that. Then we had price, whereas sunglasses are all different prices. We said we'll make them in one price, all the same price, and we'll sell them in packs of 50. So that was price in terms of promotional, do TV advertising of people sitting on these glasses. And in terms of distribution, it will be pharmacy only, won't go through department stores. And then have a good people, the people culture is good. So if you can get an advantage in every one of those, there's a fair chance your product will uh, will sell and will, will work and be successful. What has surprised you the most from your journey thus far? I think the things that surprises me probably mainly mainly people things. That suddenly you know people are um, people can be very very uh, changeable, and uh, and so that's always been a surprise to surprise to me. What lesson in business has taken you the longest to learn? Probably giving up or or stopping a business when it's going wrong. So so knowing when to when to stop. So there've been various products that we've launched, been unsuccessful, and we probably haven't stopped them early enough. You have started lots of businesses. Did you ever feel like giving up? Well, as I said, yeah, we've we've often. Uh, I don't. You know, some people say I never give up, never give up, and there are books like that. But sometimes you have to be realistic, and you have products that. Uh, that just won't work in the long term. So you say, well, hey, let's give them up. What was one of the biggest risks you've taken and what did you learn from that? One of the biggest risks was a product I launched called Z-Watch. And Z-Watch was a product that, um, that was a very colorful watch, like a Swatch watch. And we bought these watches in from Hong Kong and uh, we launched on the same day as Swatch. And there's very high margin in it, so if I gain a look at those four P's, product was good product, looked like a yeah, we had more product than competition, more designs, etc. and colours. Our price, again, one price, cheaper than the competition. We promoted on TV heavily and we distributed through pharmacies. So we had everything right except that we hadn't got our quality. We so to buy a buy a product, we could pay about three dollars for a watch which we were selling for $49. And if we'd paid $3.50, we'd 
we would have got one that would have been checked by, say, Walmart in the States, so we would have known the quality would have been all right. So in the case of this watch, we sold 27,000 of them, and when the when kids put them on on Christmas Day, the plasticizer in the strap had got brittle, and so they put them on, and the strap broke immediately. So watch without a strap is no good at all, and we got all or most of the 27,000 back again. That's a big lesson. A big lesson not necessarily to buy the cheapest. With everything happening in your world, how do you keep focus on the right things? Uh, you always focus on, on what's, what's happening next and some things you can delay. Always take action immediately, very, very quickly. What could young entrepreneurs do to help themselves? I think they often believe in their own spreadsheets. So they, uh, they haven't thought... Um, they haven't thought from a customer's point of view. I think the biggest thing is to think, hey, how will a customer perceive this? And to really understand the, really understand the customer. If you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself? I wouldn't have gone into my own business. I would have, uh, I would have stayed as a corporate executive because I took, you know, it takes, when you start a business, it takes seven years before you make a dollar before you make any, any profit. And that's if you're successful. And you're always right on the line where you can easily not, um, not succeed. So I probably would have stayed in a corporate a lot safer, you get nice cars supplied and you can go up the front of the plane, you get paid lots of money. So you're no, more, you're no better off. Now in the end, I am a lot, a lot better off financially, but money's only, you know, if you have, I don't know, if you have uh, $5 million or, or $1 million, you're not going to eat any differently. So, uh, <laughs> so I'd be quite happy being a corporate executive. Who inspires you? I've got a lot of self-confidence, so, you know, and I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner. So, uh, so I learn off everything and everywhere. So I like going to the supermarket, looking at what's happening, I like uh, all sorts of things. And, you know, like uh, listening to you and understanding Thank you. Okay, final question from me. Could you share one of your secret weapons as an entrepreneur that you have used to succeed? The big secret weapon, which is not taught in schools, in business schools, is, um, and it's so, it's so old, is this, four, is this four Ps or five Ps? Look at what your, product, what your product is, everything about it. Look at the pricing of it. Look at the promotion, distribution, and the people you've got behind it. And uh, if you looked at that every time you were going to launch a product and, and look at that against the competition, and if you can be up at better than the competition, then you, you're going to be successful. Thank you so much for your time, Tony. Thank you. Oh, that was very interesting. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed this interview, please leave me a comment down below and be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your network. As always, stay awesome and share the love.